Bibles with me tonight, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, and it's, it's, never, uh, it's never an easy task to figure out what to teach um, when, when pastor asks me to fill in a Wednesday night like this because it's, it, it breaks from the, 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 the routine of what he's doing and, and uh, it's, it's not easy to always come up with a single topic to, to teach on. So I thought what I would do is, is to, um, and I, I discussed this with him a little bit, I thought that what I would do tonight is, is somewhat uh, teach something applicable to, to the study that he's in right now, which is dealing with the gospel. So tonight we're going to talk about the wonders of salvation. The wonders of salvation. So if you'll look with me at Hebrews chapter 2, if you'd stand with me just for a moment as we read the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 2. Here we read, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels were steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us, by them that heard him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time we have together. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bless the teaching of your word and instruct us tonight, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I particularly tonight want to focus for a moment on that phrase at the end of verse 1 where the author of Hebrews says, lest at any time we should let them slip. In our society today, the wonders of salvation have become clouded. They've become uh, somewhat um, misrepresented in, in many ways by, by those in the charismatic movement, those who preach the, the health and wealth prosperity messages and all those, all those messages. And, and somewhat um, the truth and the, the wonder of salvation uh, has been forgotten and I wonder tonight, I wonder just how many of, of us take the time to stop and consider just how wonderful our salvation is, just how great and how magnificent a salvation that God has given to us. I've been saved for 32 years, and in all that time, I can honestly say today I've never gotten over the fact that God loves me and that he saved me. And if you, if you would have known me before um, you met me here at, at Berean Baptist Church, you wouldn't have liked me very much and you wouldn't have found a very kind or considerate man. Some may say they still haven't, I don't know. But I wasn't a very, I wasn't the kind of person you'd exactly want to be around. And I've never gotten over the fact in all these years that God loves me and that he saved me, and I hope, I hope I never do. There's so much involved in our lives, so much to occupy our attention and our mind. Our jobs, we wake up every day, we, we get dressed and we go to work, and, and all of the complexities and all of the, all of the complications and all of the expectations and all of the pressure and all of the stress of working is, is quite a burden upon each one of us. Um, we, we, we have to, our spouse, those of, those of us who are married, a lot of attention has to be given to marriage. 
Um, as you grow older, as my wife and I are, the, the care for one another increases. Uh, sometimes we drop something at home and we both look at each other and not sure who exactly is going to pick it up. Because <laughs> it's not easy to get down there and not easy to get back up afterwards. Uh, other things that concern us is our children. Uh, or in my case, my grandson, my grandchildren. Uh, they, they weigh upon my mind. I think about them constantly. And, and I think about my children constantly. And the pressures they're under. And, and, and all those things. Um, Little League Baseball. Hey, those of you who have younger kids, Little League Baseball is a big deal, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, uh, soccer. Yeah. Soccer, it, it, it weighs on us. Pee-wee football. Uh, we have to we have to cons- we have to entertain friends. We have entertainments in our lives, holidays, and all these things occupy our minds, occupy our time, and it is so easy to forget about God and to forget about His grace. Have you ever done that? And be honest. Have you ever just been involved in something and, and all of a sudden you, you realize, wow, wait a minute. You know, it's so easy to forget about God, isn't it? Because we don't see him and we don't hear him. And, and it's so easy to forget about the grace of God. And it's so easy to forget about the wonder of salvation. Now, as I've said so many times before when I've preached here, I'm not going to speak uh, this evening on something that you do not already know. Everything that I will say tonight, I'm, I'm sure all of you are aware of. Uh, however, as Paul stated, or I, I believe Paul wrote Hebrews, as the author of Hebrews stated, uh, we need to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard uh, and, and learned, lest at any time we should let them slip. And if we do not take the time constantly to stop whatever we're doing and to contemplate the wonders of God and the grace of God, we will become complacent and apathetic to these things. And we will begin to forget them and take advantage of them. So allow me tonight to share just a few moments uh, this evening and consider the wonder of our salvation. So number one tonight, I'd like for us to consider this, that we have been chosen by God. We have been chosen by God. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, we read, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning, you might want to circle that word beginning, chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. Do you see what he says there, what Paul says in, in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse 13? Because God hath from the beginning chosen you unto salvation. Now, this is indeed a very important truth for us to remember tonight. In fact, it is a great truth that I fear many of the modern fundamental Baptists in our nation need to learn tonight. So many today have the misconception that we must choose to accept Jesus. Isn't that what the popular preaching and teaching says today? That you must make a choice. You must choose 
to accept Jesus as your Savior. Now, I don't want you to think that I'm being blindly critical tonight of, of, of our Baptist brethren. But at the same time, don't underestimate my understanding of their theology. Uh, you see, for 22 of my 32 years of ministry, I labored under their doctrine. So when I relate this to you this evening, I'm not speaking from inexperience. I'm speaking to you from intimate knowledge of what they believe and what they teach. The belief that I must choose to accept Jesus. That's their foundational doctrine. But the truth is that we do not choose, nor do we accept Jesus. At least, not in the context of the scripture. According to the scripture, he chooses us, and he accepts us. What do we do? We, we simply believe. In John chapter 15 and verse 16, Jesus states, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Did you see that? Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. So we see that it is God that does the choosing, not us. But then in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us, what's that next word? Accepted in the beloved. So according to the scripture, who does the choosing? And according to the scripture, who does the accepting? Now argue with that. Now, listen, I lack the eloquence to effectively expound to you this great doctrine of the grace of God. I know by what criteria tonight I make choices. If I go to a, a buffet, I'll choose chicken. I love chicken. I'll even choose beef, as long as it's part of the carcass and not the internal organs. Why would anybody want to eat the internal organs? You know, my wife and I were watching Chopped. Any of you ever watched Chopped? We were watching that a few moments ago at home, and one of the basket items was chicken intestines I, t I asked her I said what in the world do you think would compel someone to eat the intestines of a chicken must have been pretty hungry 
Now, I know, I know how I make choices. Uh, we've all been, I'm sure, at some point in our life on the playground at school, and they were, everybody was picking teams, and you didn't want to be the last one picked. So I know by what criteria I make choices, and I'm sure you know by what criteria you make choices. But we must not demean God's just and equitable choice in election by comparing it or bringing it down to the standards that we would use in making choices. But what I will say is this. I will say praise be to God for his wonderful grace which he has given unto me. Listen, I don't know why God chose me. I have no idea why he chose me because if I was in charge, I wouldn't have chosen someone like me. So, simply because I don't understand it, I'm not going to reject it. I'm just going to be thankful that he does choose and that he chose me. And I'm not going to try to outthink God. I'm not going to second guess him. I'm just going to believe the truth of his word. Now, the first wonder is that we have been chosen by God. Now, consider for just a moment the implementation of this election, of this choice. First, I want you to realize that we have been chosen by God before the foundation of the world. In Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 3 through 4, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Did you see that? We have been chosen before the foundation of the world. Now, false are those who deny the, the, the doctrines of grace and the truth of election will try to explain this verse away by saying, uh, God foresaw our belief. And so, therefore, that is what this verse is talking about. And certainly it is true. That God is not bound by time. And we know that he knows our end, even from our beginning. In Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 10, uh, we read, Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. So we see that God does know the end even before the beginning, because he is not bound by time. Therefore, he can see all things in their entirety. And by his omniscience, he knew us even before the foundation of the world. Do you ever think about that? I think about that all the time. I think about how amazing it is that before God even created Anything He already knew me and he had already chosen me unto election. Now this is, this is too wonderful for man to contemplate. And it is the great truth of God. But this does not change the fact that he chose me before he created anything that we see tonight. He did not choose me because he foresaw that I would believe. I believe because he chose me and ordained me unto his election in grace. Wow. 
Now, if that doesn't excite you, I don't, I don't know what it will take to excite you. The fact that I didn't believe by my own volition, and God did not choose me because he foresaw that I would believe, the fact is I believe because God chose me and ordained me to believe. Hallelujah and praise his name. So first, this, this, this choosing was before the foundation of the world. Second, we have been chosen by God's appointment. By God's appointment. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9, we read, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. God has appointed us to be saved. Now the definition of appoint, appointment is this, to be fixed, set, established, decreed, ordained, constituted, and allotted. That's some pretty powerful words, I think. So let us apply these definitions to this truth for just a second. Our salvation has been fixed, it's been set, it's been established. In other words, our foundation has been anchored, it's been rooted. It is fixed, it is certain, it is, it is sure. Secondly, uh, consider that our, our foundation has been decreed. Now this means that it has the mandate and the authority of God the Father. It's our, our salvation, our appointment has been ordained. It's been constituted. In other words, it is with function and it is purposeful. And also our salvation has been allotted. Our election is allotted. What does that mean? It is measured and distributed appropriately. Now these are, these are absolutely, I, listen, I don't have time tonight. I, I would need six or seven weeks to pull this, each of these points apart and, and thoroughly explain them. And, and I only have tonight. So I, I, I admonish you to take these notes and, and go and, and, and study the great salvation that we have, the wonders of our salvation. Again, I have no idea, nor do I have the ability to expound adequately upon this truth. It is simply truth. And thirdly, uh, this choosing is according to his purpose. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, we read from verses 7 through 9, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now, this is such an exciting truth to me. The truth that God chose me unto salvation according to and for his own divine purpose. Have you ever thought about that? 
do you think that God just said, okay, I'll save him. And then he goes away and, and, and forgets about you? You were saved. You were chosen by God. You were ordained unto salvation through, in, in Christ Jesus for a purpose. For a reason. Each of us have different gifts. Each of us have different talents. And God has brought us together in this body so that we might join together and do the work and the calling of God. And, and we need to understand this and we need to, we need to get excited about this. I, I, used to, I, I tell my high school students all the time, God has a purpose for you. You're not, you're not the, the result of some dirty comet who, who fell into some primordial ooze and mutated over billions of years to become a species that is born, lives, and dies. You were called, you were chosen by God, and you were called, and there is a purpose for you, and it is not to go out and make money. It is not to gather possessions. It is not for wealth or fame. God has a purpose for you, and it is your responsibility to submit yourself to God, to pray and to seek his will, and learn that purpose and fulfill it. I ought to get an amen on that. So first tonight, we've been chosen by God. What a wonder that is. But secondly, I want us to understand this. We've been called through the gospel. We were chosen by God and we have been called through the gospel. Let me, let me ask you a quick question. Who in this room came to know Christ without hearing the gospel? Hmm? Besides Leno, who was begotten of, of the Lord. No, I'm joking. Every one of us had to hear the gospel, did we not? 2 Thessalonians 2.14, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, gospel simply means message. And we have a message to give. And that message is that Christ died and rose again. This is a concept we can all easily understand. Now, this calling, what do I have to do when I, I, as a matter of fact, I called Louisiana this morning and spoke to my mother because it was her birthday. So what do I have to do? Well, I had to pick up the phone and dial the number and and call and hope that uh, I had a signal that would get through. Right? Now, certainly, I want you to understand tonight that God does not need to use me to preach the gospel. Look with me at Luke chapter 19. Let's all turn together in our Bibles to Luke chapter 19. And let's look together beginning at verse number 37. Luke 19 and verse 37. Now, what's going on here is it's the triumphal entry of Jesus. He's, he's coming into the city, and what's happening before him are the masses are, are casting palm leaves before him, which was typically what was done when the king arrived. 
And the Pharisees take offense to this. So let's look at verse number 37 of chapter 19. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. In other words, he said, listen, make them shut up. Make them stop. But look what he says in verse 40. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Listen, God does not need me to preach the gospel. He, he caused Balaam's donkey to preach, didn't he? No, God does not have to use me. But he has chosen to use me to preach the gospel. And he's chosen to use you to preach the gospel. And to this I say... Praise the Lord. That God has counted me worthy to preach his word, to preach his name. Praise the Lord. Now consider this calling for just a moment here. First, let's, let me tell you this. Letter A, it is predetermined. Our calling is predetermined. Romans 8, verses 28 and 29. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You see, God predestinated us. He called us, uh, and this calling was predetermined. Not only did God choose me before the foundation of the world, but he also predetermined to call me unto redemption before the foundation of the world. And not one man, woman, or child that God has chosen will be lost and excluded from this calling. And this because the calling of God has been predetermined. In 2 Peter 3, 9, we read, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Some falsely use this verse to say God doesn't want any man, woman, or child on the earth to perish. It's not his will that anyone go to hell. And if that were true, then no one would go to hell. But what this verse is actually talking about is God's elect children. Not one of God's elect will be lost. Not one. But every one of God's elect children, all those that God has predetermined to call and save, will be called and will be saved. God's call to me was predetermined. But also, secondly, letter B, it is effectual. God's call is effectual. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 30, we read, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified... Them he also glorified. The best laid plans and good intentions of men will sometimes fail. But with God, this is not possible. For God's word and his will is always accomplished. In Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 11, we read, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. The calling of God is effectual. It will accomplish what God has determined it to accomplish. 
It is according to God's plan. It is according to God's purpose. And nothing and no one can defeat God. His calling is effectual and his calling is without repentance. Oh yes, we've been chosen by God. That's one of the wonders of our salvation is that God chose me. He chose you before the foundation of the world. We've been called unto salvation through God's gospel. Through the message of Jesus and his sacrifice and death on Calvary. But then thirdly tonight, as we consider the wonder of our salvation, consider this. We have been conquered by grace. We've been conquered by grace. Turn with me, if you would, please, to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to read uh, just a few verses here. And we're going to read beginning at verse number 1 of Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll read through to verse 7. We read here, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also... Uh, we all had our conversation or lifestyle in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. You might want to circle that. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. We were were children of disobedience. We were slaves of sin. But we have been conquered by God's grace. By his effectual calling. By the working of the Holy Spirit. Now I'm not going to belabor the arguments that we've already discussed tonight. God's grace is delivered to the saints through his election. But I would like to briefly discuss this grace of God. There are three undeniable facts I would like to remind you of. First is this, that God's grace is irresistible. God's grace is irresistible. John six thirty seven. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. I want to read to you the commentary notes of John Gill on this verse of Scripture concerning the phrase, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. John Gill writes this, Such who are given to Christ in eternal election and in the everlasting covenant of grace shall and do in time come to Christ and believe in him to the saving of their souls, which is not to be ascribed to any power nor will in them, but to the power and grace of God. It is not here said that such who are given to Christ have a power to come to him, 
or may come to him if they will, but they shall come. Efficacious grace will bring them to Christ as poor perishing sinners to venture on him for life and salvation. You and I can no more resist the calling of God's grace than we could resist the nature to sin. God's grace conquered us. It brought us under the power and under the authority of God's divine will concerning our belief in Christ Jesus. God's grace is irresistible and we cannot resist the grace of God. But not only is God's grace irresistible, the second undeniable truth concerning God's grace is this. God's grace is immutable. In Romans chapter 11, we read verses 27 through 29. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. God's grace is immutable. What does it mean to be immutable? It means to be not subject to nor susceptible to change or variation in any form or quality or nature. In other words, God's grace is not subject to change. It's not susceptible to change. It, does ta- it takes on no other form no other quality, and no other nature. This truth totally negates the idea that one could lose their salvation. The idea that our salvation is based upon our own merit or our own actions, in other words, our free will acceptance of the gospel, the idea that that, that it is based upon these things, uh, that it is subject to, susceptible to change due to our actions, completely violates and completely conflicts with Scripture. God's grace is immutable. It will not and cannot change. And that is because it is given under the divine will of the Father, purchased and secured by the sacrifice of Christ at Calvary, and serves to glorify the Father. Your grace... The grace you receive from God tonight is irresistible. It's immutable. And then thirdly, God's grace is immeasurable. Romans 11, 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him? And it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. God's grace is immeasurable. While teaching the teenage class several years ago, I taught 53 lessons on the grace of God. Some of you teenagers might remember. 53 lessons. And I can tell you with all certainty that I barely scratched the surface of the subject. In fact, the only reason I stopped teaching those lessons is because Brother Jared 
took over the youth ministry. <laughs> I'd probably still be teaching on the grace of God. Because how can you ever discover the scope and the depth of the grace of God? It would be easier for us to measure the entire cosmos than it would be to define the measure of the grace of God. And so many Christians go through their life with little to no care or concern for this wonderful gift called grace. We have been chosen by God. We have been called through the gospel. We've been conquered by grace. And then lastly tonight, we have been commissioned to good works. We have been commissioned to good works. Turn with me, if you would, to Colossians chapter 3. You're in Ephesians, Nexus, Philippians, and in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. And let's look beginning at verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, that's us, holy and beloved, that's us, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is love, uh, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. We say that God saved us according to his good pleasure and his divine purpose. And if this is true, and it is, then why do we continue to live as we did before we were saved? Paul offers us some admonition regarding this. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, we read, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10, he writes, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 12, he writes, that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. From this, it is easy to see and understand that God wants us to live a life according to and fulfilling his, his expectations. If you have been saved, if you have been chosen before the foundation of the world, if you've been called through the gospel of Christ... If you have been conquered by the grace of God, then why do you continue to live your life devoid of these truths? We have been commissioned by God that we might live and that we might produce fruit. That we might have works of holiness and works of righteousness to show forth to a dark world. 
If you are continuing to live as you were before you were saved, you might want to do some very serious and deep introspection because something's not right. Now, with the last few moments that I have tonight, allow me to share two thoughts with you concerning our commission to walk in righteousness. When I contemplate my commission by God to walk in good works, I am reminded that first, letter A, that we have been empowered to walk therein. That we have been empowered to walk therein. Second Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8, we read, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. None here tonight would argue that we, in our flesh, are able to walk in righteousness. We, we can't walk in righteousness in our flesh. No, no, no one here would come up here and argue with me about that. With men, this is impossible. But God has enabled us. He has empowered us through his indwelling Holy Spirit to resist temptation and walk in true holiness before him. In Romans 8.13, we read, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Now, very quickly, let me, let me just do this. That term mortify means to limit the authority and power of. So when, when I'm tempted, I, I don't have to sin. Before I was saved, I had to sin because sin had power over me. The flesh controlled me. But after God called me and redeemed me, guess what? He mortified my flesh. And what that means is he limited the power. I I, I teach the teenagers this. Uh, My flesh is a pit bull. Vicious, horrible pit bull. And when I got saved, God took that pit bull. And he put him on a chain. And he chained him up. So that pit bull can no longer trouble me. He can bark a lot. He can make a lot of noise. He can try to intimidate me. But he has no power over me because he's chained up. And that's what God has done with our flesh. The only way the pit bull can hurt me is if I go take him off the chain. And that's what Christians do. We let the flesh flesh go. And we let him come back and, and attack us. I tell the teenagers this. Don't lie to yourself. When you sin, it's because you choose to sin, not because you have to sin. Because if you are a child of God tonight, you don't have to sin. Because God has empowered you to overcome temptation. You don't have to sin. So don't say the devil made me do it, because the devil has nothing to do with it. It's you. And we need to live in the truth and with the understanding that God has empowered me To live a holy life. That he's empowered me and he's enabled me to walk in righteousness. But then secondly. Is this. We are established in these. When I consider my commission to good works. Not only only am I empowered to walk in them. But I'm also established by them. 
In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, we read, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work, every good word and work. In Psalm 119, the psalmist asked the question. He said, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? And the answer to that was this. By taking heed thereto, according to God's word. In other words, how are you and I going to be established as believers? Be established in our faith? It's by walking in righteousness. The believer who fails in this is unstable. He is a double-minded man. And in James chapter 1 and verse 8, we read, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A double-minded man, one who professes faith in Christ, yet walks in unrighteousness. He's unstable. And the opposite of that is stability. A single-minded man, one who understands his, the grace of God, understands his calling, understands his commission, understands the enabling power of Christ in his life. The man who's single-minded, in, in tune to God, and in tune to God's word, who's faithful to pray, faithful to serve. That man, that single-minded man, is stable in all his ways. So what shall we say to this? What shall we do? The Bible gives us a solution. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What do we do? How do we, how do we appreciate this great, wonderful gift of salvation that God has given us? What do we do? Let me give you, let me give you these things and we'll be done. Live in the power and authority of the Holy Spirit of God. Live in the power and authority of the Holy Spirit of God. And in this you will find stability for your life. And you will find strength for your faith. It is indeed a wondrous salvation that we have. Far too wonderful to explain and, and expound upon in the short time that we've had. And it, it has been given to us under wondrous means by a wonderful Savior. Let us remember that. Don't forget this. Don't fall into the trap of taking your salvation for granted. You shouldn't, there shouldn't be one day in your life when you are not brought to your knees in humility and in, and in thankfulness to God for calling you, for choosing you, for electing you unto grace, for redeeming you, for empowering you, and for commissioning you. We're too wrapped up today. We're too wrapped up in jobs. We're too wrapped up in mortgages. We're too wrapped up in 
all these things around us, fun, entertainment, activity, sports, we're too wrapped up in all these things. And we fail to appreciate the wondrous gift of salvation. Let those of us who bear the name of Christ not be so. But let us live each day to God's glory, preaching his word, expounding upon truth, and and, and living for Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would have helped the words that I spoke tonight to be received with the intent, and that is to cause us to contemplate this wonderful gift that we have been given, this gift of grace, of salvation, and and through the gospel, the gospel message. Help each of us tonight to be faithful, to preach the gospel to all that we meet. Thank you for this time we've had together. We ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen.